Okay. For those of you in the Covey Club world, you know I have an issue with money. It is one of those things that I struggle with. Not that I don't have enough. I do. I'm fine. I did well in corporate life. But doing my own business, it has been hard. It is one of my issues. I grew up in a family where you weren't supposed to ask for money from anybody, especially if you were a girl. Oh my God, don't ask for anything. I am struggling with that. I'm learning how to get over that. Um, Lo and behold, I find out many of you have the same problem. And so here we are with Lisa Peterson, who is somebody we had interviewed for a great, fabulous piece that we did at Moore Magazine, which is a deep dive. We really did a deep dive on women's money concerns to find out what was really plaguing them about saving and keeping enough money and earning enough money and holding on to enough money. And um, she was such an integral part of that. We have reconnected and here we are talking about not only her personal reinvention, she said she grew up with not a lot of money herself and wanted to um, remedy that. And she started out in fashion and she moved over to get her MBA very early and then started kind of an interesting company, a little bit different, where she added, because she's from California, no offense to all my friends in California, but it's a little woo-woo if you're East Coaster like me. She added this whole discussion of chakras and how chakras work with your money issues. And it's really very interesting. And her point is, is that chakras are just old sort of, you know, psychology. And um, she talks about the ways of dealing with your issues with money and how you can overcome them. And she has a wonderful book and she has a site and you can reach her on all those things. So she has the book, it's called The Mindful Millionaire and her site is wealthclinic.com. And she takes a very um, practical approach to getting you over your money issues. So even though it's a little woo-woo for some of us on the East Coast, um, I bring you Lisa Peterson and a whole new way to approach it and look at it and get over your issues. Here she is. So hello, Lisa. So glad to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. I am so interested in anybody who can work on their attitude towards money and in a different way. Um, because I think so many women, even my age, have issues with money. And sometimes um, we have been very successful in our corporate life, but we have to learn how to change our attitude towards money when we get out and start our own businesses, things like that. So I'd love to start with your personal reinvention. You said you're a multi-reinventor. So give us just a little bit of where you grew up and and when you got out of school, what did you start out as? And um, we'll be quick in the background, Um, but it's just good to know where where you came from and how you got into being a reinventor. Thank you. Yeah, I grew up in Northern California and had a passion for fashion and fashion design. And so I went to college got my undergrad in clothing and textile design, spent summers in New York City learning the trade, got out of school, 
and went to work quickly for Jessica McClintock back in like I love 19. Jessica McClintock. Oh my God, I haven't heard that word in 30 years. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> so I did that for a year and I was an assistant designer and I realized that I was making less than I had worked as a waitress when I was in college. And so I realized I needed to go back to school and I, I decided to um, get my MBA in finance, which was a huge change. And all of the while when I was getting my MBA, I, I was a fit model because that actually paid the bills instead of assistant designing. And then I went into financial services after that. But along the way, I, my husband and I have been building houses and I kept the creative stuff, you know, in my life, but it wasn't until I, I left my financial advising um, business back in 2014 that I started this company that I run now. And what's so cool about what I do is it's super, super creative. And I really feel like that was missing. Like that was the thing that I wanted all along. And I didn't get so much of that when I was working in the money business. So how is this, talk about your company and talk about how it's creative and what you do and, and why anybody would call anything doing, having to do with money creative. <laughs> Just my opinion. <laughs> well, for one, I have brought spirituality into my work. I, I began a deep dive spiritual journey in 1999 after losing my father in a very um, sudden and unfortunate way. And what happened was when I work in the money area, I bring that spiritual stuff into it. And so I created a model that is inspired by the chakras and the chakras are like rainbow in color and there's so much creativity in each of them. And so what I found was that the, the journey of maturing in life is kind of what the chakras chronicle. So a lot of people, you might not understand them or know that much about them, but the Maslow's hierarchy of needs was inspired by the chakras. And I figured out that every chakra has something to do with our relationship with money. And that's what I teach about in my book. And so coming up with that was super creative. And then what I also found is the same thing goes, chakras and how we build our business have a lot in common with each other. So I'm really big on creating frameworks and helping other people take their you know, intellectual property, take 20, 30 years in, in study and understanding a concept that they do deeply, and then bringing it into a really unique way of creating you know, a brand and creating a message for their company. So that's what I do now is I use the chakras in my own business, but I find other things that resonate with my clients and help them create frameworks that cause them to create more leverage and more you know, revenue and more profit, all the while focused on the bottom line, because that's just what I do. Can you give me an example? Because I, I know that since I don't live in California and there are a lot of people who don't, you'll be like, there are people over, you know, like I was the East Coast are going like, oh, there's that woo-woo California stuff. <laughs> what does that mean? And can you give an example of what you mean? You don't have to give names, but like what, what did tapping into that do for people in terms of reinventing their businesses? So one thing would be, uh, the heart chakra, which is something that I can explain both sides. So in 
the relationship that you have with money, the heart chakra is about receiving. How, re- how great are you at receiving money? You know, and, and that has a lot to do with how much you charge and how much you pay, you know, get paid if you're working in a regular job. So the more open and, you know, you are to receiving the better able, and that's a, that's, that's how it relates to the, the chakra. So money receiving heart chakra in business, the way that this plays out is when we're running a business, um, a lot of times people don't feel comfortable asking to be paid for the creation of value that they're offering to their employer or to the person, you know, that, that their client, for example. And so when we understand that this is the symptom and now we need to look deeper into what's happening inside of that heart chakra, that's how I help people. And one quick example would be a gal that came across my work shared with me that just by learning the framework that I teach, she realized that she had grown up in a home where she had received everything she ever wanted, only child. Whenever she needed something, her parents were pretty wealthy. They would buy it for her. She crashed a car in high school. And the next day, a brand new car appeared in the driveway. And what she realized is now that she's a business owner, she was struggling with charging people money. Seeing my diagnostic map, she was like, oh my gosh, I get it. When I go to ask people to pay me, I'm asking them to love me because she equated money and love so deeply, but she didn't realize that was happening. And just by that one realization, she was able to be like, well, that's silly. I don't want to ask people to love me when I'm asking them to work with me. And, And literally it went away overnight just by seeing that. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Um, so talk, talk to me a little bit about other people and what other discoveries they've had, especially have you worked with women 40 plus? A lot of my clients are 40 plus and another one would be in the sacral. So the sacral chakra is about being in touch with our feelings. The way that plays out with money is that when we're disconnected from our feelings around something like debt or around savings we can find ourselves getting into debt or spending more money than what feels good because we don't even notice that we're out of alignment with ourselves and how much money's coming in. And so just by starting to understand that the sacral has a lot to do with worthiness, our feelings of like, I'm worthy to feel my feelings. I'm worthy to, you know, spend the time to understand a different, the difference between feelings and emotions. Feelings are like these senses inside of ourselves, right? Sometimes we can call it like a gut intuition, which is interesting because the sacral area is in that lower abdomen, you know, area too. So we're just getting more in touch with like, gosh, do I really feel like I'm in touch with my feelings or am I just really emotional? That's different. As we become more in tune with our feelings, we start to notice that some things with money are really out of alignment. In fact, one of the reasons a lot of women spend more than they have coming in is because it's that void of like not feeling. So it, it's, it's in, in the sense of, of worthiness, like I'm worthy to not be in debt. I'm worthy to save money. And again, we just dive down and we look around and we start to realize that we have a choice, that this isn't happening to us that we can actually turn towards the direction of listening more deeply to our feelings. That's amazing. And so you actually see people, I mean, do they have to have done a lot of psychotherapy before, or is this 
different enough that um, they don't have to have done their work before? In, I have people who have never done any self-help before in their lives come to me. And by noticing the model, keep in mind, the chakras are an ancient form of psychology just in and of themselves. The more you understand them, this goes back 4,000 plus years to India, way before we and our modern ideas of psychotherapy you know, came up. And they are a very easy to understand once you get the right, you know, people read, write books about chakras. Every time you understand a little bit more, you're understanding like yourself. It's like a manual for yourself. You don't need anyone to tell you about them. And you, you but, but again, you know, sometimes therapy, of course, especially if we've had a lot of trauma, a lot of my clients have, um, they may go work with their psychotherapist. I've even had people get the mindful millionaire and use the mindful millionaire book in their work with their therapist, because a lot of therapists don't understand the depth of what happens in the relationship with money and all the weird things that can go on. So I've heard all different sorts of situations and, and it's pretty cool because it meets you wherever you are and, and it teaches you something new about yourself. Talk about the mindful millionaire and how you st why you wrote that. So I found that like me, there are people out there that no matter how much money they have or have earned, they still feel very precarious about it. And one of the connections you and I have with each other is I was featured in an article way back in more magazine. And you, you, you found, you know, your writers found these incredible data points, like women who have as much as $2.5 million still worry on a regular basis of whether or not there are a few bad moves away from destitute poverty. And so what I've, what I've seen is just that we, we do not understand that relationship. And I wanted to write a book that helped people if they had a lot of money or if they've always found themselves struggling with money. In all my research, you know, working with money for what, almost 30 years, I noticed that, that the trauma and the stories and the beliefs underneath the relationship with money have a lot of similarities, even though they might show up in one of two extremes, right? Struggling with money or having a lot and still worrying about it. And so the book came together to help people who found themselves in either of those situations. I have a lot of clients who are actually therapists. And so I was continuously testing with them and saying, you know, does this work in the protocol that you've learned, you know, for 20 or 30 years or getting your PhD in psychology? Cause I have not studied that. And again, and again, they said that it complemented the work and it helped them actually understand the things that were going on inside of them in a new angle. And I think it's because the chakras are so helpful. But talk about you yourself, because um, there is a, a, a portion of it where you talk about you become very successful very early mm -hmm. and it didn't, it didn't sort of lay right for you, right? Yeah. So when I was a kid, we didn't have any money. And I decided early on that if I had a lot of money, all my problems would go away. So I focused on the money. I got the MBA. I went into financial services. And by my you know early 30s, we were close to becoming self-made millionaires. And by my mid-30s, we had reached that goal. And what I found was it didn't really matter how much money I had. There were some things that were going on under the surface that I needed to study and release and let go of. Um, some of that being victim mentality, you know, feeling like, 
like a victim to life. I'll, I'll be honest. That was one of my problems because when you grow up with not very much and you look out to the world and you see all these other people who can do things that they want, and yet you can't, there's a sense of like, this is happening to me. It's not my fault. And what I, the evolution. And one of the things I talk a lot about in the book and my own personal experience is that it wasn't until I fully accepted responsibility for my life, regardless of how much money I had, until I did that, that was, I was not free. We think financial freedom comes because of how much money you have. But what I found was that that money is merely a reflection, a, a physical manifestation of who you are. So if you're not taking responsibility or you're pushing things away that are really important for your overall well-being, it's going to show up in your money. And so it's a pretty cool tool. And, and I've been using it myself all these years of like, how can I peel back the onion you know, skin, one more onion skin <laughs> to understand who I really am and who I am not. and it's, it's been very helpful. Yeah. It's interesting how many of those stories I heard and saw. I remember one guy that I dated who, um, lived in a very, one of the most fancy towns in, uh, Connecticut. And he felt like he was the poor guy in town because their family didn't own a Porsche. So he got himself, you know, the big Harvard degree and he went and he went to, uh, to, Wall Street made all this money, had planes and all that, and was still miserable. And I had to send him into psychotherapy. I was like, that the money was not the problem. You have to figure out what the other things were. And weirdly, it was this sort of warped kind of point of view, having been the poorest person in the extremely, I mean, unbelievably wealthy community. So it's yeah. kind of cuckoo. Talk a little bit about older women, what you've experienced, what, um, what you see as, because we're talking about a lot of women um, who have um, gone from corporate life. Some of them have been very successful. Um, they've been chased out early. They maybe left early. Now, you know, a lot of our jobs in corporate prevented us from dealing with all our issues because the job market is so chopped up you're doing only one finger on the hand. You don't have to do the whole hand. When you do your own business, you have to do the whole hand, right? Mm -hmm. And um, then you have to confront if you had any issues. I know I did. Um, you know, when, as an editor-in-chief of magazines, I didn't have to ask for the money. I just did all the creative stuff. And then somebody followed behind me basically like a pimp and said, okay, <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't know I had all these issues about earning my own money. So what do you see with that? So fear is really the thing underneath all of it. And just realizing that when it comes to money, we are often afraid. So just being really honest with ourselves and the fact that we haven't really had responsibility for money, you know, women didn't get many rights until the sixties. I mean, it's not like it's been a long time. And I think a lot of us came from parents who subscribe to a different generation of beliefs about what it means to own your money and to, to build wealth for yourself. So fear and the realization that you're afraid to 
you know, deal with certain aspects of money to, to charge what you know you want to be paid. You're afraid to make a mistake. You're afraid maybe to invest it or to look at your bills or, you know, there's, there's probably something. I feel like everyone has at least one, if not many fears of what we don't want to do. And what we all probably have learned by now is that the only way to conquer fear is through action. So the action could be do nothing or the action could be, I want to learn something more here. I want to understand how to fix this financial problem. I want to have greater understanding of what my services are worth and what I need to be paid so that I'm feeling really successful rather than like a martyr, which can happen. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And, um, it's just so interesting. Do you subscribe to the sort of my psychotherapist always talked about the triangle of money, love, and power, and that a lot of people would get the three confused because of how they were raised and people were often going for love and mistaking it for money or they were going for love and they were mistaking it for power. I think that that is really, really true. And I can see that resonating in a lot of the folks that come to me, you know, that they're trying to sort through what, what's happening here. Even the story I shared before about the heart chakra, it, it does create obstacles that we don't even know they're there because we think that's just the truth. That's the way it is. And then we look at younger people maybe who haven't had the same stories that we were given. And we're like, well, why do they not have a problem with this yet? I do. And I think this would be a great model to even, you know, think about like, what am I trying to get in this receiving of money? Is it, is it love? Is it appreciation? Is it power? Is it uh, validation? I mean, Yes, we're probably trying to do all of those things. It's, you know, when we're needy, we come at things very differently than we're like, I have this. This is just a tool. This is just a one of the physical manifestations of how I, I um, evidence this thing, but I don't need it. And there's a big difference between the two. That Do you sense. see any differences between men and women and how they approach this? Is it true that men have fewer um, money hangups than women or is it just they don't talk about it? Or is it because of the way the society has been set up? They are not hampered with it. And because it's new, you're right. I remember, I remember, you know, I mean, just remember, I think it was, I want to say in the seventies, the early seventies, well, you couldn't get a credit card without your husband co-signing. Yeah. I think that it's a complicated question, so I'll do my best. Men aren't as drawn to my work as women, and I think it is because there's not as many things to bust through. However, it might not be in how much they're paid is where the shadows are, but where men get stuck is in not having, let's see, how can I say this? They if they're suffering from confidence issues, it will most definitely show up in their relationship with money. And that, because men have been trained to think provider, you know, my whole entire value is how much money I make and how much I give to my family, for example. And it's a lot of pressure. It creates other problems that are different than many that women face. 
Do you see it changing? Do you work with any younger people to see how this is? Do you, are you seeing generational change? I do see generational change and I see how a lot of younger men are coming to me and they're, they're clear that they don't want to repeat the same things that they've witnessed their parents do. And there's more wisdom and awareness from a young age that they're not wanting to repeat these patterns that haven't been healthy. I see that for women as well, but men seem to realize it earlier in life, like more young men reach out than young women. Interesting, right? And then in the thirties, I will see more women start to say, okay, I see a pattern, you know, I don't know what that pattern is, but I see something and it's not healthy. You know, can you help me with it? Do you feel that we've changed at all in terms of how we're raising our children? Do you see the young women getting a different attitude than what our generation was grown up on? My generation was on the cusp for sure. I mean, I don't think, you know, I think my parents expected me to support myself, but kind of barely. I don't think it was like, you're going to have to go out and support a family. I do think things are changing. I think they change with each generation. I think there's a lot more expectation of women to be able to take good care of themselves and not to be dependent on a man. I mean, that was still in question when I was growing up. <laughs> and so some people, most of my friends, we I grew up in a lower middle class neighborhood. And most of the people I grew up with went on, women went on to do amazing things because I think we were being exposed to that. And this is like growing up in the you know late 60s, early 70s. But now I think that there is more understanding that you need to take care of yourself. There's less idea of dependency. There's less idea of you know, a pension is going to be there, right? These folks are, these kids are not growing up with the idea that there's some kind of net. And I think we may have been given those messages without even realizing it. So that's the big change is that you need to take care of yourself and figure this out. I think that's being understood. There's a whole movement called fire financially independent, retire early. And that definitely encourages people to think from an early age, if you were to save money now, you could be way ahead of the game and have more choices in your life. And a lot of people, you know, watch those videos on YouTube and read the blogs. And I think that's been very helpful. It's interesting that they actually talk about retirement. I thought that word was going to go away. That's <laughs> so interesting. I mean, I love the idea that they're planning ahead, but I'm so surprised that they talk about the word retirement. Yeah. Does that seem odd to you? It does. And I have to say they do have a different impression of my idea of retirement. It's all based on the idea that you could live off of essentially 4% of what you've saved in an investment account. So once you hit what they call FIRE, which is your return on your investment portfolio or your other passive income sources will support you. What's funny is I don't get it because I know based on my experience. Now imagine these folks that are firing, they started in like 2010 when the market was like half, right? <laughs> it had been halved and they've been watching 
the stock market only go up for this past 10 years. So their impression is it will always go up. Whereas you and I, if we've invested our portfolio for the past 30 years, we know that that doesn't really work that way. And at some point things change. So I think it's perspective. They've only seen the boom for the most part in their lifetime. And, um, and they don't realize that things do, can change and do change. And that might, that 4% might not actually give you retirement, you know, 10 years from now. So I think it's, I'm more pragmatic and maybe that's part of my generation and part of, you know, just looking from this woman's perspective that, Hey, things do fall apart when you least expect them <laughs> and, and they haven't been exposed to that. So that changes your perspective. So interesting. I wonder what the crash in the market, you know, over COVID will show them that is but at least they're thinking like that. It's just interesting that they're actually thinking about saving like that. I find that completely interesting. So um, as we come to a close with this, what else um, have we not talked about? If there are women who are wanting to reinvent themselves and reinvent their attitude towards money, maybe we'll start with that. What are like the first can you give three practical tips and tricks that they need to do that will help them get there? Yeah. One of the things you can do is do a scorecard uh, about like, where are you at with money? And I hadn't thought of it until now, but if we wanted to create a link and they could come and get a copy of a scorecard, what you're trying to do is just understand like, where am I on a, you know, one to 10 point level in key areas of my financial life? Because if you don't know that, it's going to be really hard to create a plan. You got to know where you're at. Then the next step would be figuring out like for those areas that I'm not as strong in, what are things I can do that don't overwhelm me, that don't cause me to procrastinate, but things that I can do that bring me great joy in the short term that cause me to start making changes in the areas that I'm not as strong as I'd like to be. And then finally, I think having the understanding that it is more about the mindset than it is about just the practical aspects. Because if we realize that miracles can happen in all kinds of things change when we just get more focused on our money, it takes off some of the pressure that I've got to like have a very linear, factual way of like one plus one equals two. It, money creation doesn't necessarily work that way. Yes, there's numbers to support it, but I have seen so many examples. People call me and they're like, this happened and I could have never expected it, but now I'm ready to handle it, whether it be, you know, an inheritance or a windfall or, you know, something happens and all of a sudden somebody sends them money like, hey, I've got some extra money and now you've got a seed and a foundation. But until you created the container to hold on to that money, it doesn't come. And so there's some magical things that happen when we get focused and we start to take ownership and responsibility of our money. Wow. I like the magic idea. That's great <laughs> for all the anxiety that goes into money-making yes. and especially as a new entrepreneur, I totally relate. Well, thank you so much. And I so appreciate you talking about your personal journey as well as what you do. And um, I will say that we definitely have to bring you on and we'll have to do one of our uh, classes with you because I think there's so many women that are struggling 
and tell everybody where they can reach you and um, the name of the book again, so we can make sure that they hear it. The book is The Mindful Millionaire. It's available all over the world. So you can find it on Amazon and other booksellers. The best place to find more about me and what I do is to go to wealthclinic.com. And if you want to get a bundle of like the first chapter of my book and the chakra map we talked about, you can go to wealthclinic.com forward slash gift. Wonderful. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. So thank you all for coming to talk to us today and listen to us today. And I'm so grateful that all of you are part of our wonderful podcast. And I hope that this is helpful to you. We are going to have uh, Lisa come and teach one of our classes. We do a class three times a week where we teach you anything. It can be, I mean, one time during the pandemic, we did sourdough bread baking. We don't do a lot of that, but we did that. Um, But it could be organizing your digital life, getting your LinkedIn in order, how to write a resume when you're age 40 plus. And so Lisa is going to come talk, come teach us about um, handling your money, which will be great. And you should come on over to coveyclub.com. We are really expanding our offerings. We can teach you how to get yourself together for the second half of your life. And more important, we put you into a crowd of really fabulous, warm, welcoming women who want to get to know you and want to create a new group. That's why it's called Covey. Covey is a small group of birds. That was the whole idea, is make it small, make it intimate, get to know each other, build friendships and build business relationships at the same time. So come on over and uh, also make sure if you like this podcast, please subscribe and pass it along to friends who might need help with reinvention. It is a fabulous thing, but it's not easy. And yet everybody is going to be asked to do it, especially going forward. So don't do it alone and come over and visit us at coveyclub.com as well. So take care and see you the next time.